Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Um, so it's kind of been a rough week. Um, I got sick earlier in the week. Um, I used to... I used to think other than my pancreas issues, I I don't get sick very often. And I thought I had a great immune system, but it turns out I was just really good at avoiding people that sneezed in my mouth. But when you have a three-year-old granddaughter, um, I I never realized their aim is impeccable. They like to get right in your face and go, hi, Papa, you know, just right there. And so anyway, uh, I, I really didn't tell anybody whenever I got sick, I especially didn't tell uh, Ty and Mitch and Brett that I was sick because I had the scours and I knew that they'd want to head and heal me and fill me with bolus. And, and I didn't really want that. So I just stuck with the Imodium. And uh, so I had to go to a, a men's conference, a wild game men's potluck. And it was fantastic. I had something there that I had never had before. And, you know, they, they cure ham, right? To, to make ham. And this guy had taken a deer venison and he had cured it like a ham and then breaded it like chicken fried steak and fried it. Oh, it was so good. You put some cream gravy on that thing. Woo. Telling you it was awesome. So uh, anyway, so I I was a little bit worried. I I flew to Salt Lake City on Thursday morning and uh, I was supposed to go to a guy named Bruce Bradley's house. He's one of our long exchange cowboys that had arranged the deal. And man, I got off the plane and I wasn't feeling too perky to being in the car for a couple of hours. So I decided that all I needed was a little bit of rest. So I stopped and got me a motel room and I got that motel room about 1.30 and I went in there and I was just going to lay down for a minute. And I ended up sleeping until 5.30 and I woke up and I thought, man, I am hungry. But you know, I didn't know there was any place to eat. So I opened up the window and right across the parking lot was, you know, some type of restaurant. And it said, great steaks, great ribs, and great fajitas. That makes me pause because you can't be good at all those, right? But, you know, I didn't have to get in the car and drive anywhere. So I went over there and I looked at the menu and I got fish tacos. I like fish tacos, right? Have you ever noticed that whenever sometimes, and I, and I wish, I wish I would have remembered this because my son just made me laugh so hard one time. Um, <laughs> he told me, he goes, this tastes like Elmer glue smells, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so anyway, have, have you ever eaten something that it's not the taste of it? It's, it's the way it's, it reminds you of a smell or, you know, you'll smell something and you'll be like, that's kind of how like this tastes. So as I took the first bite of these fish tacos, the very first thing that came to mind while I'm sitting there is this tastes like a stock show smells. I didn't know whether it was the best thing I'd ever had or the worst thing I'd ever had. So I kept eating it. <laughs> and it was, it was strangely, uh, you know, kind of had a mix. It had like this crema sauce on it that, you know, probably had sour cream and some avocados and some cilantro and some alfalfa and you know, some ammonia. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was strange, but it worked. So I ate it all, right? Uh, don't do that. Uh, it will bring back the scours, promise you. So anyway, while, while I'm there, um, 
I'm not much on listening to the radio anymore. I love music, but I don't like commercials. And so I, I got me a book on tape, on CD, on iPhone. And uh, so I'm listening to it, and it's by a pastor. Many of you probably heard of him. He's Craig Groeschel and Life Church TV and Version Bible app and stuff, the, the very one that we use. And it was called uh, Divine Decisions. And as I'm driving along, um, I, I realized that this was a very good book and that my, that my rental car was possessed. Okay, because it took me 38 miles to figure out how to put the cruise on. And then I put the cruise on and it had this picture of my car with these like four lines in front of it. And as I was going on cruise on 80, if I got up behind somebody, the cruise would shut off. And it took me another 10 miles to, you know, get it reset. Well, what I figured out, this car's smarter than me and it would slow me down whenever I got behind somebody. But if I'd move over and speed me back up, I had the most fun with that as I've ever had. But anyway, um... It'll even work at a hundred. Tried it. And so, um, anyway, I'm driving down the road and I'm listening to this book and he makes a statement and it really wasn't the point of, of what he was saying. It was like sub point one point five point four point seven. But when he said it, man, I was just like, man, that is good. That is good. He said, you have to step out to find out. You have to step out to find out. And that reminded me of, of one of Probably, in my opinion, one of the deepest passages of the Bible is only like, let's see, five words. Five words that Jesus uttered. And it, it doesn't sound like much, but when you really dive into it, man, it, it was really earth shattering, at least for me. And um, so to set the stage here, John doesn't go through the lineage of Jesus. He doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. He goes right into John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And John has all of his disciples there and Jesus comes walking up and John says, behold, the lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. And so two of John's disciples, the Bible names one of them as Andrew, who would end up being one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, Andrew walks up to Jesus with another disciple. Now all the commentaries say, even though he's not named, it is probably John that wrote the book of John, but John never refers to himself as, you know, I did this or I did that. He always talks about himself in the third person or doesn't mention himself at all. And so a lot of the scholars think that John, the author of John, was the other disciple. But anyway, two disciples, one of them being Andrew, walk up to Jesus and Andrew asks John or asks Jesus a very simple question. He says, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, Jesus is calling disciples, okay? Now, if you're a rabbi in Israel at, at, at this time, then, then you take disciples under you and you mentor them and you raise them up. And, you know, uh, Paul was under a rabbi and he mentions by name. And so it's very natural for a, uh, for a rabbi to take on a number of disciples. So Andrew is thinking, okay, John the Baptist has just declared that this is the Messiah. I might want to study under him. I mean, who better than the son of God, right? So Andrew walks up, maybe not knowing what to say, maybe knowing a lot of questions, but he doesn't know how to ask it. So he says, Rabbi, where are you staying? But I think that there's more in that question than merely what's your address, right? I think Andrew is asking a number of questions implied like, 
Why should we follow you? Where are you teaching? Are you the senior pastor at the First United Synagogue of Nazareth? Or, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, he, he's kind of feeling Jesus out, right? Like, should we study under you? Uh, are you going to be able to take care of us? Are, are we going to go on mission trips and organize church plays? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, is, are you going to be able to... I mean, basically, when a rabbi took these disciples, he cared for them. And so, is there going to be plenty to eat? Do we have a place to stay? Will you be able to keep us safe? Do you have money to afford to take on these disciples? You know, where's your, you know, what's your monthly income and everything? He's asking a lot when he says, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, if you think about it, what if Jesus would have answered Andrew's question directly? Rabbi, where are you staying? Later on, Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So, so maybe, you know, when, when Andrew says, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus is like, I ain't got a place. We're going to sleep on the ground. We're going to camp out, you know, I mean, and, uh, you know, what are we going to eat, Jesus? And Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but out of the very words of God that come, you know. I mean, there's all of these things that Andrew is asking. He's implying asking. But what if Jesus would have answered all of those questions instead of later? What if he had told Andrew, you'll have to take up your cross and follow me? Everybody knew what the cross was because Rome was ruling Israel at the time. And any, anybody that, you know, went against them was hung on a cross. They knew what the cross was. Most severe form of punishment and murder that man has ever devised. What if he would have said, listen, Andrew, I want y'all to follow me, but all of you is going to be killed for your faith except one. What if he had said, uh, you know, I'll keep you safe for eternity, but down here, it's going to be a little rough. What if he said, look, Andrew, if I need money, I'll call a fish out and take it out of its mouth, right? Think about that. If, If Jesus would have told them then everything that they would experience, I guarantee you, you know what Andrew would have done? (laughs) Yeah, we'll be seeing you, fella. Lamb of God. (laughs) I mean, seriously. And and Andrew's just a man like you. He's not a woman like you. He's a man. But he's just like you, okay? He's just like you. He's just a man. We all have those things that if we would know beforehand what we would do uh, or what would happen to us, we would probably say thanks, but no thanks. You ever wondered why when you pray about a decision, you have to make it? A lot of times Jesus is silent. Have you prayed? Like, God, what am I supposed to do? 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 And he doesn't answer you? Newsflash, you're not alone. Okay? For two reasons. Number one, it is of my opinion that you're asking the wrong question. Jesus, what am I supposed to do? You already know what you're supposed to do, don't you? When we ask that question, we already know what God is asking us to do. Okay? What we're really asking is, God... Can I do this with all the blessings and none of the problems? Can you weave me through all of that? And Jesus doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. He tells us that if you want to know what it's like to follow him, you'll have to step out to find out. Maybe some of the questions that that we've got today, and maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. But maybe we're asking ourselves, will I ever be able to forgive that person that has hurt me so bad? And I believe that Jesus' answer is, you'll have to step out to find out. Will I really be blessed if I love others, even when they don't deserve it? I think Jesus says, you'll have to step out 
to find out. Will you really fill my cup to overflowing if I do the things that you tell me to do? And I think Jesus says, come and you'll see. Can I, maybe it's not something spiritual. Can I really lose weight or gain muscle if I work out four to five times a week and quit eating crap, fish tacos that taste like livestock shows? And I think Jesus says, step out and you'll find out. Can I really rope wild cattle and be in a story with Kevin and Ty and Brett and Mitch and Robert? Well, you have to step out to find out. Can I really fix my marriage by fixing myself and loving my spouse like you told me to? Jesus says, come and you'll see. What if I leave myself completely vulnerable and just be who I am in Christ and quit worrying about what everybody else thinks and will feel about me? What would happen? And Jesus says, come and you'll see. Come and you'll see. These are the types of questions that is probably going through Andrew's mind. Maybe not the gaining muscle and losing weight part, but you get the picture. Does Jesus answer every question? Yes and no. Jesus says, come and you'll see. See, you've got a question. I know you do. You've got a question, something that you know you should do. You've been thinking about it for a long time. And you keep asking yourself, is this something I should do? But I believe that you already know it's something that you'll do. You just want more information. And for some reason, God's not giving it to you. Why? Why? Well, one reason is because there is a huge blessing waiting on everybody that follows God. But see, when we say that there's a huge blessing... The next logical question is, what kind of blessing? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And you know what? We won't know until we do it. It will be there, but most likely it'll be in a form that that we don't even realize is a blessing at the time because God knows exactly what we need. And what we need is a drastically different um, thing than what we want. I mean, we literally, I'm not, even me, I am so shallow with what I think I want. And God's like, man, you know, that better job, that more money, that, that all of that stuff that, that you keep looking for, that, that's not really gonna make you happy. But if you'll follow me, I'll show you something that will. Well, what is that something, God? Come and you'll see. Come and you'll see. Why doesn't he tell us what he's gonna give us apart from eternal life? Well, one of the reasons is because if we knew the blessing and the feeling that awaited us, we wouldn't do it for God. We would do it for the blessing. We would do it for the blessing. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if I, if I told somebody, and this is just an easy illustration, you know, hey, will, will you come help us on the ranch? Will you come help us on the ranch? And well, what do I get out of it? I'll give you a million dollars after six months. Done, right? But what if I said God would just bless you? Would you still go every single day with as much gusto, knowing that God wasn't going to give you a million dollars. He was going to give you something more than that because he's not interested in how comfortable you are. He is more interested in his relationship with you. He says, come and you'll see. He invites all of us to ride for his brand. He invites every single one of us and all of us want to know what are we going to get out of it? And he doesn't tell us. He just said, you will be blessed. And when you leave this world, you'll have eternal life. Well, what about in this world? You'll be blessed. I will bless you in this world. Well, what is it? Come and you'll see. I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? Once you've done it, you'll realize that it's not the reward you were after. It was the relationship with Jesus. I mean, the rewards are nice. 
But in the end, it's the relationship. It's the following him. It's the trusting in him that is the biggest blessing. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, most of you know this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I mean, how many of us would say, eh, let's see, you're going to prosper me. You're not going to harm me. You're going to give me a future and you're going to give me hope. I don't know if I want those four things. You're dumb. Okay. I want all four of those things, but you know what? When I start asking God about the particulars, you know what he says? Come and you'll see. What kind of prosperity are you going to give me, God? Come and you'll see. What kind of plans do you have for me, God? Come and you'll see. What kind of hope and a future are you offering me, God? Come and you will see. See, the reason God doesn't give us all the details is because if we knew the blessings that awaited us and the feeling that we would get, we would do it for the blessings, not for the journey, not for the relationship. But it's not just blessings. It's also the difficulties. It's also the difficulties. See, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't reveal the difficulties because we would not do it if we knew. And, and, and I, I talk about cowboying a lot. And if you would, whenever I was a little bitty kid, if God said, look, man, I want you to be a cowboy and you're going to get bucked off, yard darted, stomped, kicked, run over by cows, end up in the bijou and, you know, bitten by horses and, and mauled by mad mama cows and all of this stuff, I'd have been like, yeah, I'm going to go be an engineer. I don't need that, you know. And on top of it all, I will give you $800 a month for seven days a week. Yay. Right? I mean, nobody would do that. But luckily, we're too stupid and we do it anyway. But what's crazy is you ask Ty, you ask Mitch, you ask Caleb. You ask Brett, you ask any of these guys that make a living and ask them, is it hard? They'll tell you, absolutely. And then you ask them, is it worth it? And they'll answer you the same way, absolutely. Because see, it's the difficulties that would keep us from following God that actually make it worth following God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trails you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Man, when you're following God, don't be surprised when it's hard. He told you it would be hard. He also told you it'd be worth it. But yet I, I hear Christians all the time say, you know, I'm trying to follow God, but things are so bad. Welcome to Christianity. It's not easy. It's not easy to, to uh, the religion that God calls pure is one that takes care of orphans and widows in their distress and doesn't allow themselves to be polluted by the world. It's not easy of, of being a foreigner in a strange land. It's not easy to take up your cross every day and follow him, but it's worth it. He doesn't give us all the details about the blessing. He doesn't give us all the details of, of the hardships we will face. He just says, it will be worth it. And you say, how? And he says, come and you will see. You've got to step out in order to find out. Not only does God not reveal to us the blessings, the particular blessings that he will bestow upon us. Not only does he not tell us the hardships that we will face in following him, but he really doesn't even tell us the way. He doesn't say, well, what well, okay, let's have a game plan. I need you to do this. And then after you do that, I need you to do this. And then you do this, I need you to do this. You ask him, God, what am I supposed to do? And he says, follow me. You know, whenever we go out riding at Roberts, um, I can say this because he's not at this service. Um, a lot of times you don't know what you're going to be doing most of the time. So we have learned, me and Mitch and Ty and Brett, we've learned just to keep our mouths shut and just 
just follow him. And then whenever he's ready for us to do something, he'll tell us. And I never thought I'd compare Jesus to Robert, but (laughs) that's the way Jesus wants us to follow him, right? He doesn't want you to ask a bunch of questions. He's like, you just stay beside me. And when I'm ready for you to do something, I'm going to do it. And, And if I'm not telling you to do anything, just ride beside me. Let's visit. Relax. We may be at a long trot sometimes. We may be at a walk sometimes. We may be flying full stupid somewhere, trying to rope something. All of those things are going to happen, but he's not going to tell you about them beforehand. When you ask God, what do you want me to do? You already know what he wants you to do. He does. You do. You know what God wants you to do and you know it. What you're really asking, is there an easier way that I can receive the blessings without the hard stuff? And can you lay it out for me so that I can do it? He says, no, it's not going to work like that. It's not going to work like that. A lot of people, and, and I know you've heard it and it sounds good, right? It sounds good, but just because it sounds good doesn't mean it is true. Okay, and so I'm going to give you probably the biggest myth in Christianity that maybe you've been taught and it's wrong. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying it's wrong. It's false theology. How many times have you heard God won't give you anything more than you can handle? Bull crap. If you could handle it, you wouldn't need God. And what he wants is for you to need him. He wants you to trust in him. He wants you to obey him. He wants you to listen to him for instruction, not figure it out on your own. It's too hard. We we can't do it. We're not God. He's like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that there's a blessing awaiting you, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And I'm going to tell you it's going to be hard, but I'm not going to tell you how hard it's going to be. And, and I, myself just this morning sitting on my back porch was crying and moaning to God about how hard it's been lately. And he, the Holy spirit gave me a great word. Duh. That was my spiritual word of the morning. And I was like, well, God, I know. He said, didn't I tell you it was going to be hard? Yes, sir. Well, then why are you crying about it? Well, I I didn't know that when you meant hard, you meant like hard. He's like, well, what kind of hard did you think I was talking about? You know, it's tough, guys. It's tough. That doesn't mean that we don't do it. He doesn't want you to know where to go. He wants you to follow him. He doesn't want you to know what to do. He wants you to listen to him. One of the greatest quotes I've ever heard is when you're making a decision, do what you hope is true instead of what you are afraid is true. Let that be your guide. Because if you make a decision based upon what you are afraid is true, you're not going to follow God because you're afraid that it's going to be really, really hard. But what if you switch that around instead of doing what you are afraid to do or not doing what because you're afraid of it, what would happen if you were like, I'm going to put my hope in God's promises. You know, everybody says that God can do anything, right? I don't believe that's true. And it's a play on words and I get that. But you know, one thing that God cannot do is go back on his word. If he went back on his word, he wouldn't be God. We go back on our word all the time. And even as cowboys, that is a big, big deal of, you know, be a man of your word, blah, blah, blah. But we break our word all the time. But God doesn't. Do what you hope is true. And, and if you're living by Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is what we're all looking for. And this is what God has promised us. But why are we sitting here waiting? Because we want these assurances that are not going to come. We've got to have faith that what God said is the truth. And the only way 
to know if God is telling the truth, and he is, is that you have to step out in order to find out. You have to step out instead of in order to find out. And I'll leave you with this. This is a little bit, it's a lot deeply personal. And it's something that I've struggled with for years. Imagine this is where I am right here. And that's where God is over there. And there is a bottomless chasm all the way. And it's just a rope bridge with these little wooden planks. But it's not just 14 feet. You know, it's, you know, 100 feet across this deal. But in the middle, there's a gap too wide to jump. I have spent a lot of my ministry up until not very long ago of wanting to follow God and walking out there to the middle. And then there's this chasm. And I've been like, God, you've got to fill this in because I can't get over there. And he's come and you'll see. I'm like, I'm wanting to God, but I I can't get across this thing. So guess what I do? I stay right here. And then when things get hard, you got one guess as to my next direction, right back to where I started. And then things get bad over here. And I turn around, I'm like, God, I I know you're there. So I walk out there and I'm like, God, please span this, this part so I can get over to you. And he says, come and you'll see. And I'm like, I can't, I don't have any wood. You've got to fill this in in order for me to come over there. So guess what? A lot of times I go right back to where I started. Does this sound familiar to anybody else? Maybe until one day, I think God got sick of me whining and crying about it. So he gave me a hint. And it has changed my life. And I hope now that it will change yours too. Because everything that I needed was already there. I was just too dumb to realize it. And it finally dawned on me standing at the edge of this gap that I had everything I needed. Because I got up, I turned around and I walked over there and I picked up the very first board and I turned around and I put it in the middle. And then I turned around and I went and I got the second board and I put it in the middle. And then I got the third board and I put it next in line. And I kept doing that until the span was crossed. But guess what now? Guess what? There's no way back. There was never meant to be a way back. 